listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Because vision speaks of future and what is in store. But more than that, I like to talk about the vision of our house and what God has in store for this church and for this house. And that's why I've entitled this message today, Our Vision, His Promises. For what reason? Because I'm going to show you that how our vision parallels to the promises that we read in God's Word. That we are biblical in the vision that we have for our church. And I'm so excited because I believe that God's got great things in store for this church. Why? Because it's good, because it's always God. And as a child, I want you to know, I saw all of this. I saw all of this. Just this morning as I came into my office, I had grabbed some files off my shelf on Friday. I was looking for a blank file to put a wedding that I was about to do and put my notes in there. And, and I'd grabbed a file and I'd left another on my desk. And I didn't realize till I came in this morning. And when I grabbed that file and picked it up, my dream, a vision that I wrote many years ago, fell out of that file. And I thought, how fitting today. Because I'd already planned to share some of my dream and some of my story, but how incredible it was, just the timing of God, that I saw that dream again today, and I was reminded of everything that God has. You see, as a young man, about six, seven, eight years of age, I didn't just have the dreams of a normal child of that age. Yes, I wanted to be a soccer star. Yes, I wanted to represent my country. I dreamt of scoring the winning goal and being the hero of a nation. But yet I had other dreams. Other dreams of me standing before crowds of people, seeing literally thousands of people in stadiums full. And it amazed me that as I spoke, people were listening. As a six and seven and eight year old kid, I was amazed. Wow, this is what my life would be like. People were listening and I saw them not only listen, but I witnessed as they responded in the hundreds and they came to Christ. I saw miracles taking place. That was dreams that I had over and over again. From an early age, I knew that God had a special plan and a special purpose for my life and future. I knew from an early age that God had called me to be a pastor, to be a leader. I would see it on my report cards. It was my saving grace because I didn't get the greatest grades in every class. But the teachers would always say, he's a natural born leader. People listen to him. People follow him, which was good sometimes and wasn't good the other, but that was my saving grace because my mom couldn't almost get mad at me because I was a leader and that's what they wanted me to be and they knew from God that that was what he was called me to. But I remember one particular part of the journey because the dream is not always easy. When God gives you something, sometimes it can come through rough times and I remember going through rough times in my life. I'd just gone through a divorce and I'd just started this church and I was like, God, 
what now? And the enemy came in and told me that, see that dream? That's what God had for you, but you've blown it. Now you'll never see it. Now you'll never be a part of it because you've messed up your life. You used goods. God would never use you anymore. And I had to reflect back again on my dream. I had to go back to experiences and encounters that I had with God. And one was just a couple of months before that. I was going to a pastor's conference in Virginia Beach. And about five in the morning, I boarded the plane. I wasn't feeling well that morning. And how many knows five o'clock in the morning, you're not feeling good anyway. And I remember going on that plane and I asked the stewardess and I said to her, please, ma'am, do you have a pillow? She came and brought me a pillow. I put my head down before the plane even took off. I was asleep. And I remember landing in Virginia and being awakened. Hadn't said really three words to her, just can I have a pillow, however many words that is. No other words in conversation. Hadn't interacted with her in any way. But as I got ready to leave the plane, she stood in front of the cockpit door and she was welcoming or saying thank you for everyone who had come, have a safe trip and I pray your day is special. And I remember that she handed me this piece of paper folded up and she put it into my hand. And I began to open it. She says, no, sir, not now. She said, please take it. She says, I don't know what it means, but I hope you do. And I remember getting off that plane and this is the piece of paper and I opened it up and written on that piece of paper, she had written these words, get ready, it's going to happen. Get ready, it's going to happen. She didn't know what God had placed in my life. She didn't know the dream. She didn't know that three weeks after this, I would go through a divorce or a separate. She didn't know all the things that my life was facing, but God did. Why? Because God had a dream. It wasn't a dream that I dreamt. So today, here's my thoughts. Are you just a part of a church? Can you say today, well, this is just a church. This is a church I'm a part of. I want you to see something bigger than that today. Because you're not just a part of this church. You're a part of my dream. You're something as a child I dreamed about. Seeing what we have each and every week here was the dream that God gave me. And I believe today that you're not just a member of this church. You're a part of the fulfillment to the dream that God still is unfolding. Because what we see today is just a taste of everything that God has in store for us. I love this statement by D.L. Moody. He says these words. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure but succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. That's pretty powerful there. Because failure can be a great motivator for us because it picks us up. And he said, that's not the fear that we should have in our lives, but the greatest fear is that we waste the call. That we waste our lives doing the things that don't matter, that we do not fulfill the purpose that God has called us to live. In the Word of God, Jesus often told stories that were called parables. A parable was an earthly story that had a heavenly meaning. In other words, Jesus would take everyday circumstances, situations that people could see, and He would use those to explain spiritual things, the kingdom of God. One was, and we can read it in Matthew 25 verse 15, Jesus talked about someone who left. 
a wealthy person who left and called his servants to him. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, 15, and to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. Notice the next part. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he left and went on a journey. The New Living Translation says, he divided it in proportion to their abilities. And that's the problem that we have so many times. We misread scriptures like this because we make it about something it's not really supposed to be about. Because we look at what other people have got and we envy them and we get mad at them and we're jealous. Well, how come they got more than me? How how come they got my miracle where I'm still waiting for mine? You see how the world wants us to compare with other people to the point that we are mad about what we even do have and we fail to see that we can do something with even that. And you see, what do we see in all of this? Here's what we've got to understand. Every one of us has different capacities. Every one of us can handle things at a different level. Some can handle stress, others cannot. Some need to be told what to do. Others are natural leaders and they can tell other people. Come on, we have differing capacities in our life. I'll use an example. Some of you couldn't handle six kids. That would kill you, literally, having six kids. Almost kills Kelly and I, don't get us wrong. But for one child, it's manageable. You can handle that. But that doesn't make you a bad parent. It just means that your capacity is one and maybe not more. And so what we've got to realize is this. The main point of the parable and the story is this. What are you doing with that which you do have? Instead of complaining about what you don't have and what you feel you should, what are you doing? How are you honoring God with what you do have? What God has given to you, are you doing something powerful with it? I'm not saying this in arrogance in any way, but I know that God has given me something great. I believe that God has given me a great mandate to do something. I believe God has given me a greater capacity than even what we just see here. I'm thankful for what we have. But I believe God has a bigger church in store for us, a bigger future in store for us. I believe God has got greater days ahead of us. Thank God for the great days today. But I believe something is great. With that greatness, though, comes a great responsibility. And it's now my responsibility to lead this church to the fulfillment so we can hear these words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little, now be entrusted with much. Come on, that's what we all need to hear. Well done. Stop complaining and being upset about what you don't have. Get a well done with what you do have. Use your capacity and your abilities to move and to build the house of God. And why do I say that? Because that's the power of vision. Because when we put everything together, I said, when we come together, that's the power of vision. Because with all of us working together, pulling together, pushing together, whatever, come on, that nothing is impossible and anything can happen. You see, here's what we've got to understand about vision. Vision without you just remains a dream. It's a hope, it's a thought, it's something written on paper because if there's no one there to carry it out, Vision can never become a reality. 
But when you step into it, when you are involved with it, with you, that dream now can become a reality. That's vision. Together. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the thought there is, where there is no divine guidance, where God hasn't spoken, where there is no vision, what happens? The people will cast off restraint. One translation says people run wild. Look what the Message Bible says. If people cannot see what God is doing, and that's our responsibility as pastors, we want to show you what God is doing, what God can do, And what God is able to produce in your life. And that's what we do each and every week. But if people cannot see what God is doing, if they don't have vision, they will stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, come on, say with me, vision. When they have vision in their life, the Bible says they will be blessed. There's much or most blessed that can happen in every one of our lives. So vision can produce blessing. In our life, lack of vision can cause a problem. Being connected and a part of vision can help to see fulfillment of a dream. In other words, you cannot aim at anything. You have got to aim at the right thing. And as a church, our goal, our vision is to aim at the right thing. Who and what has God called us to be? What is it that God has given us the mandate? And our right thing, we believe, is this. Life, love, and purpose. You hear that over and over again in this church because that's our vision statement. We believe in life. We believe in love and we believe in purpose. That life starts, that love happens, and that your purpose is revealed. And for the next three weeks, starting next week, we're going to take every one of those parts, life, love, purpose. And each week we're going to look at those. And we're going to ask really three questions. Why we do it, or what we do, why we do it, and how we are going to do it. Because we believe if you're going to be a part of something, you need to know what, why, and how. And we're not ashamed of that. And we're going to proclaim that, and we're going to show you. So can I remind you, life starts why? Life starts through knowing Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, your life hasn't started yet. Because true life begins when we know Jesus. That's our initial goal. Come on, we've got to get everyone to know in Jesus. We want to move people along that scale each and every week that people would know Jesus. And then love happens. Why? Because all of a sudden you discover love because you find love. God is love. And then through that love, God heals the relationships, the circumstances, the situations around you that you walk in a freedom in your life. And then purpose is revealed. And we say this, purpose is twofold. Number one, that you will discover your purpose and your place. And secondly, that you will use that purpose to make a difference in someone else's life. That you'll serve other people. Someone said this, and I love how they said it. They said, two of the most important days in someone's life is the day they were born and the day they discover their purpose. In other words, the day they discover why they were born. Two of the most powerful days. And we can say life starts, love happens like this. Here's another way to say, are you ready? The lost people are saved. Saved people are pastored. Pastored people are trained. And what? Trained people 
are mobilized. That's our vision. And did you know that's a promise or promises that God has given us in His Word? And not just from Genesis to Revelation, because the Word still goes on. And those promises are still available for each and every one of us. But God made four promises. He's made more promises. But God has four major promises that we want to show you today that will impact your life. And His promises look like this. He wants to rescue you from bondage. Come on, He wants to bring you out of bondage. The second thing is God, He promises to deliver you from whatever holds you back. Come on, you can be saved and still bound. God wants to save you, but He also wants to deliver you. Then God wants to help you to discover the original intention that He has for your life. God made you unique for a particular purpose. And God, through His Word, wants you to discover that. That's a promise from His Word. And the fourth promise that we see is He wants to make you a part of a family that will make a difference to this entire world. So when we talk about our vision today, we're really talking about His promises. It's a biblical approach to church. It's a biblical approach to what we do because it's the promises of God. Just because we don't see every promise unfolding every day of our lives, maybe we're not walking in the victory that we want. And all the, we, we don't need to look at the promises and say, bad God. Because I'm telling you right now, the problem is never with Him. It doesn't mean He will ever break His promise. The problem is always on our side. Because what do we know about promises? There's always a premise to a promise. What does that mean? I have to be obedient and do the right thing too to unlock and receive the promises and the blessings of God. I love this definition of promise. Are you ready? It's an offer with a guaranteed result. An offer, that's the real meaning of promise. It's an offer with a guaranteed result. When we struggle with that today in our daily lives, why? Because promises don't tend to mean the same any longer. We've got a husband and wife who stand and make a promise to live with each other and to love and to cherish till death do us part that we see now ends in divorce. We have politicians that stand up and promise and of hope and change to just get our vote. And then what do they do? They make excuses because they can't fulfill the promise. We have people who are making promises. You make promises. I make promises every day. So many times, unfortunately, see those promises broken, that we find ourselves let down, frustrated, and hurt. So what? We look at a promise and we kind of say, ah. But you've got to remember this. That's a promise with man. But a promise with God is different. I said a promise with God is different. Because God will always keep His promises. God will always keep His promises. I love this promise. Since we're talking about church and we're talking about vision, I love this promise. Matthew 16, verse 18. It says this, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. What's the promise? God says, I'll build my church. 
Now, man have said, well, he's building upon Peter. Peter was the first pope, and that's where... No, 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 that's not what God has said there. You see, Jesus came to his disciples and said, who do men say that I am? Everyone had an answer. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good man. You're John the Baptist. You're this and this. And then Jesus says, but hold on a second. Who do you say that I am? The only one that day who had divine knowledge of who he was, was Peter. And Peter said to him, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to that. Upon that, Peter, in other words, upon the revelation of really who I am, God says, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, hell can't stop it. I want to build my family in that. I said, I want to build my family in his church. I want to put my finances in my church. I want to put my life into his church. Why? Because hell will not prevail against his church. That's God's promise. A promise that he will hold true. A promise that he made to David. You build my house. He said, David, I'll build your house. And one of your descendants will always sit on the throne. God fulfilled His promise. Why? Because God will do what He promises. I want to show you these four promises again from Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. This is a promise that Moses gives to the children of Israel. They're in bondage. They're in slavery in Egypt. And it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Moses spoke this to the leaders of the children of Israel. Israelites who were held in bondage for some 400 years, they had been enslaved and in bondage to Egypt. But Moses once again was reminding them of the promise of God. He wasn't telling them the promise because God had already spoken these promises. He was reminding them of something I'm sure they thought was never going to happen. Because it's been so long, it's never going to happen. They probably forgot to even tell their children about the great promises of God. Why? Because how will this ever happen? Man, we've blown it, we've failed, God is gone. But I'm telling you, God will never fail on His promises. What had He just promised them? He promised them four things. Number one, He said, I will free you from your oppression. 450 years almost. A long time. But God says, I'm going to free you from your oppression. The second thing he says is, I'm going to rescue you from slavery. I'm not going to free you only. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver you from that mindset, just that life that you've lived in. And then he says, third thing, I'm going to redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And fourthly, he says, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. And Jesus, God did exactly what he said because he sent the 10th plague upon the Egyptians. The 10th plague was the angel of death. And Moses instructed the Hebrews, the children of Israel, he says, take a lamb and sacrifice it. Take the blood of that lamb and put it upon the doorposts 
and the lentil of your hands. For what reason, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. A type and shadow of the cross of Christ. Because when Jesus hung upon the cross on both doors, and what is that? That's the cross right there. That when Jesus died on the cross for our freedom and our liberty. But he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Say with me, pass over. I will pass over you. They celebrate that even today in Israel, what's known as the Passover. The time that God delivered them. The time that God fulfilled the promise to his people and brought them out of bondage and he brought them out of slavery. And as they celebrate it today, we we celebrate a type of the Passover when we have communion on the first Sunday of every month. We remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. But when the Jewish people celebrate the Passover, do you know they don't just do it with one cup of wine, they do it with four cups of wine. And why do they do it with four cups of wine? Because each one of the cups represents one of the promises that God gave his people. You see, the first cup that they have is called the cup of sanctification. Sanctification really is another word to call of salvation. The cup of salvation that God says, I want to save you. Then they go to the second cup and the second cup is a cup of deliverance. Notice I could be saved but still bound that there's a deliverance that God now wants me to enter into. And that's why they partake of that and remember not only the sanctification of God, but His deliverance in their life. And then the third cup that they take is the cup of redemption, that God once again redeems them back. He takes them back. What's saying to them, no matter what sin and what life has done for you, come on, my promises are still available for you. God brings us back to that place where He, what? His callings and giftings are without repentance. That we can be redeemed. We don't deserve it, but by His blood He can bring us back. And then the fourth cup is the cup of praise. It's a celebration at the end. Because now what? We can be used and our testimony in our lives can make a difference in the lives of other people. Four promises seen by four cups. And let me just back up if I could. I'm just going to jump into a portion of Scripture where Jacob, Jacob and Esau, Jacob the second born stole the birthright from his brother. And as a result of stealing the birthright, Esau hated him and tried to kill him. So Jacob had to flee for his life. He fell in love with Rachel. He was given Leah. He served his father-in-law Laban for many years. And then one day he said, I want to return back to my people. And he's in fear for his life because he still hears his brother's not happy. And his brother's going to kill him. So just the night before he encounters and experiences his brother, he has a wrestling match with an angel. He doesn't realize that really he's wrestling God face to face. And God, the angel, asks him this question, who are you? And Jacob says, I'm Jacob. Why was that significant? Because Jacob means deceiver, surplanter, trickster, devious. Not a good thing to be called. And through the course of this night, the angel says, no longer will you be called Jacob but now you're going to be Israel. You are now God's prince, because that means prince of God. So now he's the prince of God. 
Now things are going well. They're living in the land of Canaan. God is blessing them. But then a famine comes to the land. Joseph has been sent ahead to Egypt because God had a plan. Joseph calls for his brothers. They come to Egypt. They're given the best land. And this is really a paraphrased message, this part. Things were great. But the Bible says, Then arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And he came into power. And when he looked at the children of Israel, the Hebrews, he saw how strong they were, how the blessing of God, and he was afraid of them. And the Bible says that he put them into bondage and he enslaved them and they became his slaves, building his kingdoms, building many of the things that we see now in Egypt, the pyramids and the massive cities that we see. So now almost 400 years later, they have spent more generations as slaves in Egypt than what they had enjoyed as free people. And now God is sending His promise to remind them. God is reminding them. He hadn't saved them from starvation all those years ago to lead them into a land to die as slaves. But as years turned into decades and decades turned into centuries, hope was difficult for them to maintain. They couldn't hardly hold on to it because the more God blessed them and they grew the tighter Pharaoh's grip became upon them and the more he inflicted them. But just as God had promised, God raised up a leader, Moses. Moses, who was raised in the house of Pharaoh as his adopted son. God brought him up to a place of leadership because God always has a plan and he always has a purpose. And now it was time for God to keep his promise and set his people free and to lead them into their new home. We actually see the pattern of just what I've talked about played over and over again throughout the Old Testament. We see people that have gone from living in the truth of God's promises that have fallen away into sin and found themselves in a state of bondage only to be pursued and restored by God as He fulfills His redemptive promise. Time and time again. It began with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given everything that they could ever need, save one thing. And what was the one thing they wanted? The one thing God told them not to have. Sin, they ended up sinning with that one thing, but God did not give up on them. What He just set in motion his redemptive plan. Genesis 3, 15 tells us this. Look, the Bible speaks about, I will put enmity. This is God speaking to the serpent and to the woman. He says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise, capitalized. It's not just because it's the start of a new thought or a new sentence. He capitalized is Jesus. This was the first fulfillment or first promise of the Messiah that would come, that Jesus Christ would come. Why? Because God knew the only answer to sin was the Savior. And here we first see of the promise of Jesus being given to mankind that He will, what? He will bruise the heel of the serpent. But guess what will sin will do? Sin will still bruise the heel. Come on, that's the battle that we have, isn't it? As sin still wants to try and latch on and wants to destroy our lives. 
But again, these are the promises of God. These are his plan that we see over and over again, slightly differently, but really entirely the same. And what do we see? We see a promise of life. We see a promise of love and purpose. And we're going to build our church on these four promises. We're going to build our church upon these four truths that we see in God's word. Because this is going to be a church where people can come and know God. Come on, this is a place where people can know God. This is going to be a place where people can walk in freedom like they've never experienced before. This is a place where people can discover their purpose and realize my life has meaning. And my life can make a difference in someone else's life. Come on, we're going to bring His promises once again to this world as we see them fulfilled in each and every one of your lives. Turn to Mark chapter 16. This is now the New Testament. This is now Jesus speaking. This is known as the Great Commission. This is what he, this is his final address, if you want to say this, before he ascends to heaven. This is his last words that he's given to his disciples, his parting instructions for those who would lead his church, be the church leaders. And he gives them four promises. What? Yeah, four promises. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Come on, say with me, win. Win. What is he saying to them? Win people to Christ. Bring people to a place where they can know God, where they can discover God. Go anywhere you can and bring people to me. And then verse 16, he says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Here's the first thing, the second thing he says here is, he says this, I want you to assimilate. Now that's a big word, but can I break it down to you today? Assimilation means this, to take in information, ideas and cultures to understand fully. Because he's saying to him, I want you to go and win those people, but then I want them to understand that through believing in me, their lives can be completely changed. Because another thought of assimilation is to cause something to resemble. God wants us to resemble Him to the world. While we're bound and while we're broken, we're not representing Christ in the way that we should. But He wants to assimilate us, to redeem us, to bring us back to Him that once again we can walk in a freedom and a liberty that He has for us. Then it goes on, Jesus says, and signs and wonders, verse 17, will follow those that believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. That's the Holy Spirit. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, for they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. You see, this third thing that Jesus says, after you've win them, and after they've assimilated, they come back to me. He said, the third thing is, he says, I want you to raise up disciples. I want people to be discipled. I want them to realize that they have a purpose, that they can lay hands on the sick and they can recover, that they can walk in my name, that they have power and authority in my name. Come on, we've got so weak Christians today that are not walking in the power and the authority of Christ. It's time that we are Christ followers, disciples of Christ, realizing everything that he has made available for us. And then the fourth thing we see, 19 and 20. So after that, the Lord 
had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying of signs. Amen. What's the fourth thing that Jesus did to them? He, he sends them. He sends them out. Send was what he did. He sent them to the world. He says, go and preach the gospel. Make a difference. Be what God wants you to be. Come on, take the truth and the freedom that you've experienced and now go and share it with other people. You see, that's the life, the love, the purpose. That people would know God, that they would find freedom, that they would discover purpose. And they would make a difference. One last scripture today. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. In my Bible, it's entitled, A Prayer for Spiritual Wisdom. But if you would notice as you read through the Word of God, there's very few prayers that are actually written out. We see that people pray. Jesus stood and prayed in the wind and waves. But we don't see the prayers that they prayed. We see the Our Father which art in heaven. And this is one of very few prayers that are actually recorded in the Word of God. And I love this prayer. It's a great one. And as a pastor, as leaders in this church, this is our prayer for you. This is the prayer that we want to pray for you. And not only you, but the countless thousands of other people and souls that are still going to come through our doors in the future. Because this is why we do what we do. This is our vision. This is our prayer for you. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 1, 16 through 18. It says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. This is Paul praising the Ephesians. He says, I'm praying for you. And here's my prayer. I'm praying for you. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the glorious Father, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelations so that, here it is, number one, are you ready? Look what he says, so that what? You may know him better. That you would know God. That life would start. Verse 18, and I pray that, here's the second one, that the eyes of your heart may be Unlightened, that you would realize that you were made for more than just this. That God didn't just save you to save you, but God saved you to deliver you. That you would walk in freedom, that your heart, your eyes would see and find true freedom. And it goes on to say, in order that you may know the, here's the number third one, the hope to which he has called you. That you have a purpose. God has a purpose for your life, and that the riches of His glorious, here it is, number four, inheritance in His holy people. In other words, God has something for you to be able to give to His people, to bring to His people. I love that. Four things, four promises that we see through the Word of God, that we would know Him better, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would have hope in that which He has called us to be that we would have an inheritance in His holy people. Let me take that, first, that same scripture from the message translation and let's read it. He says, I ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the glory or the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him, what? Personally. That your eyes would be focused and clear so that you will see exactly what He has called you to do. 
and that you would grasp the immensity of the glorious way of life that God has for you. What does he say? You'll know him personally. You'll be focused and clear on what he has for you because he has called you to do something and he has a glorious way for you to live. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Life, love and purpose. You see, we don't want just to do church. We can come every Sunday and just do church. We can just check the box and say, been there, done church. Come on, we can do church. A lot of people know how to do church really well. We don't want to do church, we want to be church. Because we don't want to just come to church, we want to be His church. We want to take His church wherever we go. Miss Wanda was here first service today. You know why Miss Wanda was here? Because we took church to the Mall of Louisiana on Friday. I'm riding the carousel, always talking to Miss Wanda. Been talking to Miss Wanda every time I go to the mall. And always saying, hey, how you doing? Been very friendly, you know what? And I said to her, Sunday, you haven't come and see me at church. She said, Pastor, you didn't give me a card. I said, oops, well, I can change that. Brought out my wallet, had an invite card. You always need one of those. Gave it to her. She showed up at church this morning. Absolutely loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Come on, that's being the church of God. Sharing the love of God with other people. Because true church doesn't exist for me and you. We, the church, exist for the world. To bring them a place where they can come. And if we're going to be successful in this, you know what success is? You know what as a pastor success is? Here's what success to me is as a pastor. Success is when people are moving on a spiritual journey that God has for them. Our goal is that we get people moving on the spiritual journey that God has. God has a different journey for every one of us. That's where we discover our purpose and calling, that we want to be what? Pursuing. We want to be moving on our spiritual journey together. How do we begin the message? By using our talents and gifts that God has given us. Different responsibilities, different capacities. But yet we can use those together as one and we can have a vision and we can be focused. So today I've really broken down the vision of our church, life, love and purpose. And we're going to jump into it, as I said, in greater detail over the next few weeks. And I'm telling you, I want you to be here because it's so important for your life and for your family as you see what God is doing in this church. But as we move forward into a new season, we really believe that. We believe it's also important that we move forward under a new banner. From God's word, we see and understand that names are very important. Nowadays, when we have a child, we just name a child like, if that's the popular name, that's the cool name. Oh, we like that. In biblical times, it wasn't like that. You would literally pray and you would feel what your child was going to be and you would name them what they were going to be. It was almost like a prophetic statement. So every time you called that child's name, if, if their name was blessed, every time you called them in whatever language that meant blessed, you were speaking over to those, their lives. That's what you are going to be. So names have an importance. They have a significance in the Word of God. And we believe that a name is something that's very important for us. We believe that as we move forward as a church, we want something that truly represents what God has called us to be. And this isn't just a hasty decision. This is something that we've come to with much prayer. But here's our big announcement today. 
Our big announcement is this. We are changing the name of our church from Heartsease Family Life Church to, drumroll, Encounter Church. Encounter Church. Come on, Encounter Church. And we love that. Because why? We want this to be a place where people can experience God in a new way. That they can see God and have a life-changing experience. That they can know Him. That they can find freedom. That they can make a difference through discovering the purpose that God has for their lives. And we're so excited. We're going to be in Counter Church. We're going to see lives totally encountered and changed for God. Heart sees is who we were. And thank God it served a great purpose. But we're going into a new season. And with a new season, we're going in under a new name. Believing for God to do great things. And Encounter Church is what we are moving forward into. So make the commitment over the next few weeks, please, to be here to discover what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. And we're so excited that coming up the end of September, September the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, that's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to have a big conference here at the church. We're going to have a big celebration. We're going to bring in guest preachers. We're going to have a Friday night. We're going to have an all-day, well, kind of part of the day Saturday. And then Sunday, we're going to have an official ribbon-cutting ceremony on that Sunday. Everything you see is going to be remodeled. We're getting ready to repaint, recarpet. We just signed a lease past week on 3,000 more square feet. Just We're going to have a custom-made youth area and other rooms. Come on, we're just doing everything that we can to represent what God has called us to do. And now what do we need? We need every one of you to come and help other people to encounter the same God that you have felt, that you have sensed when you step through here. We truly believe that the greatest days of our church is still ahead. We believe that there's a new day ahead. We believe that there's a new season. We believe that there's a new move of God that God wants to bring into this house. But today... We desire for this to be a great day for you, for your life personally, not just to celebrate in a new name and to celebrate the vision of our church, but to celebrate that your name can be written down in the Lamb's book of life, that you can see the promises of knowing God, finding freedom, making a difference. Come on, walking in that purpose, discovering your purpose, that you can see those things begin to unfold in your life right now. Would you stand to your feet all over this place and just bow your head as you stand. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. Master.